Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. We have Gabe behind the camera, and the three of us work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. Top 10 in the country, little known fact. We're going to start plugging that one as well, and we're streaming live every single week. This is old news, Stacey. Um, every single week on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. We've got our biggest guest to date coming on here. We'll tease it a little bit. So we have Garrett Stubbs, member of the 2022 National League champion Philadelphia Phillies and the son and grandson of real estate royalty from La Jolla, California, the Gellens team, Maxine and Marty Gellens. He's coming on at the end. Uh, very, very excited to talk to him about Philadelphia real estate, growing up in a real estate family. But first, we're going to talk about market conditions because there is an inventory issue that just is not going away. And we've got some inflation data to share as well. So, Stacy, I'm going to throw some of these numbers out to you and let's kind of react here. And while we go over that, hope Sarah Timon, our co-host, feels better. She's got a stomach bug. She's out this week. She'll be back next week ready to rock and roll. Although she did sell a house while she was sick. So I was happy for her to, to, awesome. to do that. So with all that in mind, so Logan Motoshami of Housing Wire, he comes out every single week. This article dropped yesterday with three key indicators about what's going on in the housing market. So we saw purchase application nationally up 3% week over week, meaning more people made purchase applications than they did the previous week. And overall, the start of 2023 has been solid considering mortgage rates have been above 6% most of the year. They've been dancing around today. They're coming in about six and a half is what I saw today from Mortgage America. That's the lender that we use. Weekly housing inventory continued to decline. We saw a 13,238 unit decrease double the amount of the decrease we had this time last year. Uh, now we are working at higher inventory levels this year than compared to 2022. And obviously we saw uh, the 10-year yield jump aggressively, which caused mortgage rates, because they were they were briefly below six. Mm-hmm. Now they're coming in six and a half. So what does that tell you about the market, Stacey? What are you feeling right now? What are you and your clients seeing out in the field? And then we can get into what's happening locally from an inventory level and talk more about the direction of the rest of February into March. Well, it, what we are seeing, what I'm seeing out in the field is um, buyers coming back into the fold, which is very positive, but it's creating more competition because we are very stressed on the inventory side. Um now, when homes do come on the market, the great homes obviously will always sell fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're moving ready, you don't require a whole bunch of work to get in. They're the ones that were back to um, multiple, multiple offers, almost obscene amounts of offers on, on homes, um, well over asking price and little to no contingencies. Uh, it's for some of my clients, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been pretty frustrating. Uh, I have folks that have real needs to, to get into homes here, relocating mm-hmm. from other States, job relocations, things like that. Um, it's, it's been really, really tough. So keeping them motivated and keeping them positive, that's been the main focus for me. 
like, okay, you know, what this one didn't pan out, let's move on to the next. And just being at the ready for them, you know, after they get kicked in the gut when their offer doesn't get accepted because they're up against 14 other offers um, and they were beaten by three other cash offers, it, it's tough. So, uh, but that's kind of where we are in, in this market again. It was a little interesting because last fall there was a blip where we were able to, you know, take a, have a couple of days to make a decision on, on putting an offer together. We were being, you know, we were able to get inspections. Um, and I believe that if you have listings, what I have found, some listing agents um, were working on last fall's market mm-hmm. uh, feelings. So they are pricing a little bit under market value maybe or, or right in at market value. And it's really creating a lot of competition. So it's it's driven prices up higher. I mean, we just lost out on an offer over the weekend and there was 14 offers um, and it went like 50 grand plus over the asking price, no contingencies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're back to that. It's, it's um, yeah, it's definitely very, very competitive. You have to prep your clients uh, when if you're talking to people that are just coming into the market, they have to be fully aware of what's going on and what it's going to take to get a home. Get down to that motivation. Why are they? Why do they want to buy? Why do they need to move? And see if their motivation is going to match what they have to do um, to win an offer. So I, I do agree. The multiple offer mindset has got to be in play for buyers right now. I mean, we had a home we sold over the weekend. There was I think 26 offers that came in on it your home that you sold in, and this was priced around 300, so around that median price point. Uh, you had 70 plus showings at a home two weeks ago, around $500,000 in media. This other one was in Chester County that I'm talking about. So th- this is really happening. And you know, it's th- there's gonna be a seasonal uptick in inventory. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm clear that's going to happen. I wanna give some perspective what's actually going on in Philadelphia, because you hear these numbers, you don't really know w- what it means. So I broke down each county. So in Delaware County, through January, there are 530 active listings on the market. That's a 1.31 month supply. So that means it would take one month and 10 days, roughly 40 days for everything to sell out at the current pace. That's down 12% from where it was in December. Wow. Uh, Because in December, we were seeing like a one and a half month supply, roughly. Mm -hmm. Um, We saw a 1.77 month supply in Montgomery County. Chester County, we saw a 1.34 month supply, again, down about 12% from where it was in December for the month of January. Philadelphia is, this is interesting. Actually, let me talk about Montgomery County first. Montgomery County, same thing, 1.33 months. That's down a little bit more. There was more inventory in Montgomery County uh, during the month of December. There were 728 active listings as of the end of January. Philadelphia has been stable. We're seeing a 4.74 month supply and that's roughly where we were in the month of December. So, it, you know, and, and I think there is a little bit of a difference between the city and the suburban markets right now. And there, there's a lot of folks, especially the demand, are these people that formed families, are often in their 30s, late 30s, having kids. And they're like, I, I can't deal with the two-bedroom row home. I can't deal with condo living anymore. And and that exodus into more like adult life with kids is is kind of happening. So we're we're seeing that there has been a decline here locally as well for the month of January. Uh, There's also some challenges here because we, 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 if you watch the state of the union last week, I'm clear there's a little bit of a crisis going on with inventory. 
there was one mention of affordable housing on the entire state of the union. And it was typically about like renting and, and, and that sort of thing. So they didn't even bring it up. And it looks and with some of the changes that have been made to allow multifamily housing. And we've seen rental prices come down for the first time in a very long time, even though they're still very high that, you know, there, there, there's not that incentive from, you know, the, the, the government to, you know, get sellers, bring their properties on the market right now. I mean, it's, it's a real challenge. So with all that in mind, and, and what we're kind of seeing as well is that um, there's th- these other indicators here that inflation cooled again in January. So what I'm, I'm worried about what the Fed may do, because they keep jacking rates up. I, as I, I mean, if, if let's say the next meeting comes up, Stacey, I want to put this hypothetical out there, and they, they have another 25 basis point increase, and rates go back up again, because they've gone up to six and a half now. What's that going to do to the market? Because we're not seeing this pop of inventory that everyone kind of expected by now. It's actually gone the other way. I'm hopeful March, April, May, we'll see that seasonal pop, but that's seasonal. That's not permanent. So how does this all play out? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing the government really helping out with the situation that we're in here. Well... <laughs> the government, I don't know, once they get involved in something, it seems like it becomes worse. They screw it worse. up. Yes. Exactly. I, okay, fair enough. So, um, but my concern is that if the feds raise the basis points again, we're going to have interest mortgage interest rates into the sevens. And that's where we did see more of a stronger pullback from buyers, especially first-time home buyers. They kind of um, backed off a little bit and, and got out of the housing market. Um, but... I don't think that there's going to be enough of a drop off of buyers to, um, you know, to not to alleviate the competition that's out there for sellers. Uh, the the seller's biggest concern is that they don't have anywhere to go because the inventory issue, mm-hmm. and that if they were to get into something else, the interest rates aren't conducive because they most likely have refinanced into something lower. Maybe they didn't get into the twos and three percents, but maybe they're sitting on a nice four and a half percent. And mm-hmm. if they have to finance part of their purchase going forward, maybe they, it would be in the six and a half or seven percent. Um, that's hard for them to stomach unless they have real needs. Say they're in a three and one, or like you said, a you know two two and two condo, mm-hmm. and they really want to get into the suburbs. That's different. There's a different motivation there. But um, this inventory issue, we've been talking about this for a while. Mm-hmm. And we've been saying over and over, I don't know how we're going to be able to build our way out of this. It, it, we just can't. I like, agree. You know, builders, uh, since 2008, since the collapse, the financial, re- um, what do they call it? The recession, the financial calamity that we had. A lot of builders went out of business. Mm-hmm. They didn't come back into the fold until like 2015, 2016. Here we are, 2023. Even though we had a lot of, new construction, it's not enough to satisfy the demand. Uh, we have people coming in from the major cities, New York City, New Jersey, um, for tax purposes, um, for mm-hmm. school purposes, uh, just to get out of the city and, and you know people leaving Philly and coming into the suburbs. So it's, it's definitely an issue. I don't know how we build our way out of this. For sellers that have a, a second home or a place to go or they're moving out of state to retire somewhere, um, good for them because they're going to be able to cash out uh, and and move on into their second property. But if you're a seller and you need to get into something else locally or you're looking for suburbia school districts, it, it is a tough proposition. Um, 
but that's where we find ourselves. And I don't know how we're going to build our way out of this cri- uh, inventory crisis. Well, so so the, the, the challenge is that what's being built right now, I mean, uh, is, is a lot of multifamily construction. So mm-hmm. it's not single family homes. The, the permits for those have declined four straight months uh, through the end of, of the year in terms of the permits being pulled. And according to Al, uh, Axios research, uh, new, new apartment construction matched a 50-year high last year. So yeah. we're seeing all these apartments get constructed, and it, it's forcing more people to stay in rentals. I mean, they're, and they're spending like $3,000 a month on these places. So Luxury apartments. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like it's a, it's a cheap place to live. Right. And- that that's causing you know folks to maybe rethink. All right, well, I need to find something that's going to fit my needs more more than anything else. So, you know, n- knowing that, and then we also got some CPI data here. Uh, the CPI posted its smallest annual gain since October 2021, with data released this morning. So, the consumer price index, the cost of goods, the things you buy, rose 6.4 percent in January um, compared to a year ago, and. In December, the index posted a 6.5% increase, so we're slowing that down. And uh, Bright MLS chief economist said this is the smallest year-over-year price increase since October 21, and the report suggests that the downward trend in inflation may be bumpier than hoped, uh, and it means that the Federal Reserve will push forward with these rate hikes through the spring, which will increase borrowing costs. And that's that's coming from the Bright MLS chief economist, Lisa Stuart Savant, I don't, I'm getting her name wrong there. We'll give it a shot. Um, so, you know, th- there's all these things happening right now, and it seems like the market's not reacting the way the Fed wants it to in all right. areas. Right. We this, it, The inventory challenge is still first and foremost for a lot of folks. So, I, you know, I, I don't I don't know that we're going to really come out of this anytime soon. I feel like this is the market that we're going to be in for at least another year or two. It's It definitely seems like that and feels like that to me for sure. Um, I, I just don't see how there's any changes. And for people who are looking for single family new construction homes in our area, they do not exist. They, they just are not there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's certain price points, yes, that you can get them. Maybe there's a, you know, a, a, a custom builder that has a one acre lot and he's building this mega custom home. But as far as uh, just for your standard community, HOA community, single family homes, they're not happening. There's some new construction townhome communities, but a lot of people are looking for single family homes. And uh, I know that as far as new construction in our, uh, in, out here in Chester County, it, it's just not there. And I don't think it's coming anytime mm-hmm. soon. Well, if you look at the, I mean, if you look at the, the permits being pulled and there was, there's a, this is on an NAR article and this, this is a little dated. It's back in um, October. Uh, you can actually zoom in on the map, which is which is pretty interesting, and they show the number of permits being pulled. So let me pull this up here. So in the Philadelphia Metro Marketplace, so January through August of 2022, there was 3,114 multi, so it's five-plus unit uh, buildings permits pulled. In the Philadelphia Camden-Wilmington Metro Market, single-family permits were 5,369. The previous year was 6,125 permits were pulled. So you're seeing about a 1,000 decrease. 1,000 homes is like a drop in the bucket right now. We need way more than that. And the, the five-plus units, we saw 8,090 of those home of those buildings with uh, permits pulled in 2021 from January to August. So we're seeing that there's just a decline in what's being built. And the only thing I see here that would make sense, and we talked about this previously, um, is – some sort of like tax incentive 
for sellers to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about the folks that have been in their home 20, 30 years and the capital gains tax exemption that's out there of a $500,000 gain for a married couple or a $250,000 gain for an individual, um, that hasn't been changed since 1997. Right. We're talking about inflation. You just, I mean, the CPI is up six plus percent just this year, let alone what's happened since 1997. If there was some sort of incentive for people to do that, maybe they raise the gain up, maybe or, or the limit, that would be legislation that would prompt people to make a move similar to what happened in 2008 when they had the first time buyer tax incentive of $8,000 that propelled a lot of buyers to enter the market. So it's got to be something that's going to work. Unfortunately, there's nothing coming from the government right now. And and they created this by putting so much cash in the system in the first place. We've seen home prices rise substantially. I mean, they've risen much faster than incomes over the past three years. And the Fed's rate increases, which led to higher mortgage rates, have made the cost of buying even higher. So Mm -hmm. with the slowing demand that we have and the Fed's strategy designed to cool consumer demand to bring down inflation, it 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 hasn't really done anything because there's still low inventory and there's still stiff competition. Yeah, it's been counterintuitive what they've been doing. So I I agree with you with the, um, the capital gains. I think that... Those limits have to be corrected. They have to be adjusted for today's inflationary rates that that we've experienced because folks are are concerned about that if they're selling. They don't want to be penalized um, because they know that they have a lot of they have a lot of gain in their equity in their homes. So that is a concern, especially if they have a second home to go to. Um, but that that is one thing that the feds could do to make that adjustment, but I don't think that's going to happen. They're, they're way out of touch with what's really going on in, in the communities mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, out here in the field, so to speak. Um, they just, it seems like they're years behind, you know, when they catch up to something. The, the, the other thing here too, to look at is local politicians, because if they were to loosen up some of the zoning standards, I mean, maybe you can build more townhomes. Maybe you could build more, because Single family homes are too pricey now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't. I don't care where you are. I mean, you look at the the home you sold in in media a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we had seventy some people through in three days. Yeah, that shows crazy. you the demand. There was multiple offers. It sold seven percent above the asking price, and the place needed some work. Yep. That that's not abnormal. And it, how how big was the house, Stacy? Eighteen hundred square feet. A little about two thousand. Okay, two thousand. Yep. So that's kind of a could be a starter home for some people, could mm-hmm. be a move up for others, but it's it's not any like massive place, right? right? I think that's the idea. Right. So if local politicians and and the local government would loosen up on some of their building uh, zoning codes where you're able to build townhomes, you're able to build maybe condos or, or, or something like that, because we're seeing places get developed. I mean, even in Lower Marion, I mean, they're, they're you know, they're, they're purchasing commercial buildings and putting these high-end apartment buildings up. Um, so if they were to loosen up the zoning code a little bit to allow for more multifamily building to happen, that could help. Mm-hmm. Um, I see someone like Alan Dom, who's running for mayor. Maybe we can get Alan on the show. He's also former realtor, the condo king, right? Oh my gosh, that'd be great. Well, I feel like, you know, he's going to, if he wins... He's got a different perspective than these lifelong politicians. So mm-hmm. if he was to loosen up the zoning code a little bit in Philadelphia, create some more incentives for builders or for home sellers in that area, because it's not going to happen on the national level. It just, it's just not going to happen. They're, they're so, they don't bring it up in the State of the Union. That tells you how low of a priority it is. Mm-hmm. 
I'm clear this has got to happen locally, and that's where folks can really get a little more vocal. I mean, there's townships out by where you live where they have minimum lot sizes of two acres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're never going to build anything. Right. You can't. And, and, and they all need septic systems. And, they, and yes. it's, so if there was maybe loosening of that code up a little bit, you could build townhome communities, which they've done in places like West Vincent and out in like Owen J. Roberts and in, in Chester Springs, mm-hmm. where they're historically single-family homes. If they're able to sell something like that, loosen the zoning code up, well, maybe all of a sudden, then, and there's an incentive for builders to do it, the buyers would come. I don't think there's any mm-hmm. question there. It's it's that sort of inventory. The median home price inventory is what's needed right now. I think that's a great idea, um, what you're proposing here. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Let's hope somebody <laughs> listens. Um, I, I think it's at the local level. That's where, that's where it could start. Um, I know that I've had buyers, you know, they get frustrated with the current housing market. So- they kind of shift their mindset into, I'm going to look for land now. We're going to buy a lot and we're going to see if we can approach it that way. Mm -hmm. And guess what happens? It never happens because they realize how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to get the lot. You have to, you know, make sure it can perk so that, you know, you can have subject and, and is there water? And it becomes this major ordeal. Plus they can't finance the land. So they're back to frustration because they realize how difficult it is um, to start from scratch like that. And then they're back to looking at existing homes. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a real problem. And if we could have a, a little bit loosening of, of some of the zoning and some of the uh, requirements and restrictions, and I think that's, that's a great that idea. That and a tax incentive for some of these sellers yes. that have been in their homes. I mean, th- th- yeah. those are viable solutions here. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, it's it, it's got to happen at the grassroots level because mm-hmm. it's not coming down nationally. That's, that's not going to happen. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about another agent contagion in the marketplace. I know we sound really negative today, but we're talking about stuff that actually matters. And then we've got Garrett Stubbs, the best playlist creator in Major League Baseball, son and grandson of real estate legends uh, Maxine and Marty Gellins. He'll be coming on afterwards. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We have been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. 
We hire the best agents and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Main Line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's TomTool.com. Sell your home for more and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. Gabe's behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania, top ten in the country since 2018, and we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. Give us a like. Give us a follow. So, Stacy, we talked about a different contagion in real estate last week about people not wanting to work with folks because they don't want to be their friend. This is something a little different. So um, Byron Lazine, our good friend, is at it again. Um, and he and I were talking about this over the weekend. So he put out a tweet. I found this very interesting, and it really it got me riled up. I imagine you're going to have the same reaction. Agents spend an enormous amount of time, energy, and resources creating content that only makes consumers completely tune them out all in exchange for 71 other agents to like their post hashtag contagion <laughs> what do you think about this i think it's true and i think if agents would spend more time not creating tiktok dance videos which i'm sorry half of them look absolutely ridiculous um, and doing the pointing at the finger thingy going on. <laughs> I think if they, because that, creating content takes a lot of time. I know. Okay, that let's be real. It, it takes a lot of time. Look, look what we do with the radio show here. And our intention is to aim to educate, which I'm going to get to. Mm-hmm. We spend an hour a week plus a lot of prep work, and then there's a lot of time that we edit, we share stuff. Yes, absolutely. I could not agree with you more. So if they're spending two or three hours just to put out one piece of content, like on mm-hmm. on Instagram, whatever, that is two or three hours they could be spending reaching out to their clients, get you know, digging into their databases, digging into their CRMs, and really doing that type of work that's going to serve their clients better mm-hmm. than trying to get other agents to like their posts or trying to get a following on Instagram. Um, it's I think that this is a real problem for agents. I, I get it. Some agents have have really done well, you know, with their with their social media accounts, but that's not where it is. It's you have to get to the clients, get to the the get it, dig into your CRM, do some outreach, make some phone calls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and I think that there's a place for content if you're going to actually educate people, and right. you can be funny doing it. What ends up happening, and I've seen this, that agents are making fun of their clients. Yep. Um, they're making a joke out of how they go about doing business. I've seen videos where they're like fighting each other and like punching each other in the face, trying to get a listing. Um, you know, if, if that was me and you know, our, our style is very different. It's, I mean, the, the show here is meant to educate the public and to put information out there that folks can understand. Cause most agents Mm -hmm. don't spend, if they would have spent the amount of time prepping 
for the amount of time that I spend prepping for this show, they would know everything about the market. The challenge is these agents don't know anything about the market. They're not knowledge brokers. They don't understand what's going on. And I, I agree with you. Spend time developing your business first. And real estate right now is hand-to-hand combat. It mm-hmm. is a full contact sport. So the more you can educate yourself, the more you can attract clients through normal outreach, phone calls, text messages, Now, if you're going to do video, do a one-to-one video to your client, Mm -hmm. educate them about the market, start there instead of trying to get the other realtors in the marketplace to like your post. It's it's going to go a long way. And part of that contagion that I see is that they're they're not focusing on income-producing activities and they hope business is just going to come to them. Um, And it's, you know, it, it can be effective if you're making the calls and doing the other things. If you're not doing that, then it's it, it's it's got to be both ways. Like this is just a billboard for your business, and I, I that's the only way to approach this. And I think the past few years, uh, with the you know basically the unicorn clients coming in, one phone mm-hmm. call, can I see a house, write an offer, and get it accepted? That's not it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and I think agents um, they're they're not used to that, or they're kind of shocked that they actually have to sit down with clients and, and go through the buying process and actually answer questions. Mm-hmm. Do they know how to answer these questions? Do they have the answer yeah. to the questions? Um, you know, and as far as, you know, making fun of other agents and things like that, that's really bad form, very unprofessional. We have to all work together at one point um, during a transaction. You don't know who's going to be on the other side. If you have a buyer, you don't know who the listing agent's going to be. You're going to have to work with people. So we have to learn to get along. We might not like them, but we have to, on behalf of our clients, learn to get through a transaction. So making fun of somebody, that's just not good. It's not it's totally unprofessional. And I think we have to, you know, this is a very, this is a professional, um, you know, business that we're in. People, agents get offended when they're not treated professionally or they're disrespected or, labeled like a used car salesperson. But then when you see them behaving so unprofessionally, mm-hmm. like remember the fight video at Harris? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a bunch of mortgage brokers, but I mean, it was literally an all out right. brawl. And right. I mean, uh, there's a reason why people get these reputations. Right. And Just it's, because it's not me and you doing that doesn't mean that it's not well-deserved. Right, exactly. So I think that if agents would spend more time focusing on building their business, because it is their business that they're building, and it is your reputation. Um, and to me, my reputation means everything. So I'd rather spend the extra time uh, educating my clients one-on-one, getting on the phone with them, sitting down with them, answering all their questions, than to be creating content for other agents just to like my post. Because it is true. You're not really reaching a whole bunch of clients on social media. Mm-hmm. You're reaching a, bother, a, a, a bunch of other agents. And, and I mean, you have to look at who your following is and what's going on, but you, you might alienate a lot of people. And it just seems like there's this there, there, there's this mindset out there right now that people want to buck the trend of what's worked in real estate for decades, Um, whether it's calling your leads. I mean, and I I do agree, like it'd be pretty hypocritical of us to say there's no place for content and video. If you would see, you've seen me in the office or put out all these videos. Mm -hmm. You know what I was doing when I was in production? Calling people for two hours a day, following up and setting appointments. And so you still do that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm still Sometimes. doing it now. I just set them up for other people uh, on the team because that's how we roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
You know, I, I mean, it, so I, I think that that's something people don't like the, the, the true measure of, of a person. John Wooden said this is what they do when no one's looking. And I think that's a great example and that you happen to be there and saw all this. There's, a, there's this other article that got posted on Inman, and the, the opinion is, I'm an agent, you can't tell me what to wear on the job. And it's another one of these people saying, and literally, it's time to recognize the business of selling homes doesn't require a blazer, but it does require personality and skills, and that is not one size fits all. I could not mm-hmm. disagree with this more. Now, every market's got a different sort of vibe, which is going to be what what's considered professional. I mean, you're out you're down in like a like Hawaii, it's going to be a little different mm, right. or in California or in Florida or a vacation market. Mm-hmm. These agents that tell me they that uh, I'm going to show up looking like my authentic self. Well, when I'm here for a job interview, you know what I wear to an interview, Stacy? The same thing I've worn every single time I've interviewed for a piece of business in my life. A shirt, a tie and a jacket. We're in the Northeast, that works here. I know this. Mm-hmm. I would put my results up against other people who say I can wear Jeans and a T-shirt and look or a cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking with Brian Blauk from our team, our, our our sales manager, and when he was in production, he shows up dressing the part. Mm-hmm. And there was another agent coming out of a showing. This is a very high priced home, and the guy had on like jeans and a T-shirt. He threw a blazer over it, and his client said, "Hey, maybe I need to find a real estate agent that dresses like that because you couldn't tell who it is." What's your yep. experience been with that? Because I, I just you know it's. Why, why do you want to get away from what works? I mean, I, I don't understand this. Like, I, you, know, you know what worked really well on Sunday night for the Kansas City Chiefs? Those plays they ran, and they ran two of them where the guy was wide open in the end zone. Ugh. That play worked, right? Yes. So they ran it again. Why, I don't understand this. Right. What's your take on all this? Yeah, I agree 100%. How you present yourself, again, we get back to the professionalism. You want to be taken seriously, you want to be taken seriously as an agent, as a professional person, then you you have to present yourself that way. If you're showing up, you know, in ripped up jeans and a hoodie to meet with clients, I, you know, and I've had that experience too, you know, mm-hmm. coming out of a hot listing and you're like, you, you, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you can just leave the key in the door. It's like, um, who are, are you? you? Yeah. Are you the agent? Do you have a card? Mm-hmm. You know, because- did you shower the, this morning? Right, exactly, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with dressing, you know, comfortably, but if you are an agent and you're meeting clients, you cannot do that. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think that's a good idea at all. How you show up sets the tone Absolutely. for how the transaction's going to go. So, right. and I, I would argue, and when you put content out that makes you look like a joke or this is all funny, you know, this is people's largest financial asset we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. So I cannot stress that enough. So, we're getting the, the the play out here. We got Garrett Stubbs lined up next. The contagion is real. Avoid it if you're a real estate agent. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. Mortgage America is we are here with the number one playlist author, the member of the 2022 National League champion Philadelphia Phillies, Garrett Stubbs. Garrett, thanks for coming on, my man. I, I cannot thank you enough. And we're excited to talk a little bit about your real estate background with your family 
as well as how you've kind of given back to the community here in Philadelphia in ways you may not even realize. So just really grateful to have you on the show. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. It should be fun. Uh, for sure. Well, from uh, so how are you liking Philadelphia, first and foremost? I mean, I know you, you're from California. You were in Houston before you came here. How are you liking our area and the city of Philadelphia to start? Uh, amazing city. You know, when you're coming to Philadelphia after being traded, uh, you get to hear the murmurs of what the city is like. And most of it is not geographical uh, or <laughs> anything about the city itself. It's about the people in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, everyone talks about the sports fans in Philly. And I mean, lucky enough for myself, I got to experience one of the best Philadelphia Philly baseball teams uh, since 2008. So uh, my experience has been incredible. Uh, obviously, we had a slow run there in April and May and then started to pick things up. So I did get a little bit of a taste of what that Philly mentality feels like when you're not doing so well as a sports team. Uh, but, you know, they kicked our butts and we ended up getting going and, and having a really good run there in 2022. I mean, I think the whole city fell in love with baseball again. It was kind of the same thing from like 2008 when we went through this the last time. So, um, you know, coming to a city like Philadelphia, where I, I think California is a lot different. Like, what did you see in terms of like the passion of the fans? Like, I mean, this team had a connection with the city that I don't think we've seen in a long time fueled by your playlist that you played in the clubhouse that was all over the news. I mean, I, people, th th that song was like, what, the number one most streamed song or something uh, from Callum Scott. So what kind of connection did you feel with the city after being here a year and now coming back again to play your, your second season? Yeah, you know, West Coast sports and East Coast sports have kind of a rivalry, um, have always have as far as fan bases and how engaged they are as fans. Uh, me being from San Diego, I was always an engaged uh, Padre fan. Uh, baseball was my passion growing up. So I was going to games. My uh, grandma had season tickets. And so we would be going to as many possible games as, as we could. Uh, and then for me to be able to come to Philadelphia in my first season, uh, like I said, have the run that we did. Uh, and you mentioned the Callum Scott playlist, the relationship <laughs> with the fans, uh, you know, it's, it's a very big push and pull. Uh, I, you know, we felt that push in the very beginning but once you start winning and showing the fans that you're going to be going out there with everything you got and putting in that effort that they want to see day in and day out, I have never seen a fan base get behind its team stronger than the Philadelphia people. It was an incredible thing to be in part, a part of, regardless of the playoff run, even before that, just the regular season, starting to see people during the games, really be engaged, uh, you know, giving everything that they had in order to push us to be better. And then, you know, you get to playoffs. And I don't think that there's a better atmosphere in sports than going to a Philadelphia Philly baseball game in October. Uh, you know, I'm sure the Eagles give that a pretty good run. And so do the Sixers. But being a baseball fan, it just really doesn't get better. The, the stadium was so loud at some point. And I, I don't know if you ever experienced anything like that before. And you're, and you're coming off another team from Houston who was also very good. You know, they, they made a deep run. The When Reese Hoskins hit that home run in the first home game, I mean, I thought – I was at the game in the last row. I could feel the stadium shaking. How loud is it on the field? Because this was something people were talking about, like they could hear it on TV. And I've never really heard that before about an Eagles game or a Sixers game or really anything else like that. Yeah, I mean, you can fit, I think the the bank holds 50,000 or close to it. Yep. Uh, and, you know, humble brag here, but I that was my uh, third World Series that I got to be a part of as a player. 
And, you know, the previous World Series, obviously Houston's in a dome, so it really collects the sound uh, really well and holds it in. So it's a loud, loud environment too. But the bank was, you know, you hear, uh, I think it was Todd mentions the bedlam at the bank. And yep. that's exactly what it was. You know, he mentions that in, in uh, Harper's Homer, but you talk about Reese Hoskins Homer. And I heard at, at UPenn, the seismograph went off for an earthquake uh, when he hit that homer. Uh, I think that's what they're called. Uh, yeah. And that's what it felt like in the stadium. You know, I, I got to witness uh, Kyle Schwarber hit a home run in Fenway the year prior when I was with, with Houston. And Fenway Park, I thought, was going to break. It was an old stadium holding people jumping up and down like absolute madness. So to be in that environment in Philadelphia and watch Reese, a homegrown player who had been there for the previous five seasons, bring Philadelphia a just a moment of magnitude that I don't think you can describe unless you were there. Uh, you know, it, it just all really comes uh, full circle for a player like that and for fans who have been watching Reese as a rookie bring a team finally to October and then get to make an impact there. Love it. So uh, th there's some other stuff we want to unpack here about your, you mentioned your grandmother and obviously your mom there, they are real estate legends. And, and obviously this is a real estate show. I just want to thank you on behalf of a lot of the people here, because I think this team made a connection with the fans. And I don't, it was so unexpected to see that run. Uh, you mentioned like the early part of the season until now, and the city got so excited. And then just to, to see the way that the, the players bonded together. It was one of the probably the better stories in the 41 years I've been watching Philadelphia sports. I don't know if you guys agree, but this was like, I, I, it was so awesome to see because the Phillies are, I mean, before you were there, they've lost more games than any other franchise. Like there's been some rough seasons. So people really <laughs> I, loved it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw it. And I lived uh, in the FMC building last year and there's a mural on uh, Walnut street of the 2008 team. And every time I walked by it, you know, we were thinking, or I was thinking walking by it, you know, what, what a, what a cool thing would it, it would be to have a 2022 Phillies mural somewhere around the city. Obviously we didn't win the last game of the season. So don't know if that mural is going to be coming, but we got a lot of the same guys uh, coming back. So we, we, we hope to be making that same kind of run here, uh, not just in 2023, but for years to come. Well, it's exciting, man. And the connection with the city, and I, I think you hit on it, is that the people really care here probably more than you may realize. And and it's uh, a lot of folks that they, they wait their entire life for this stuff. So I think yeah. it speaks a lot to the way you guys connected with the city, which is really awesome. Yeah, I was walking through Rittenhouse Square and uh, Rittenhouse Park and and uh, one of the construction buildings, I'm walking through the street and they started playing uh, the Callum Scott dancing on my own <laughs> song in the park. And I think they did it like at noon every single day yeah. during October. And it was just really cool to see a city rally around a team like that. It just doesn't happen everywhere. I love that somehow with all the baseball teams that have red in their colors, Philadelphia has coined red October. Like that to me is just as impressive yeah. as anything else. You got all these other teams yeah. and, and, and red October is a Philadelphia thing. So that's really cool. And so it, as it, as it should be. I agree. I'm, I'm all for it. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about. So, I mean, we uh, Garrett and I got connected through uh, my coach and your good friend, Tom Ferry, which is another awesome thing, because uh, I've actually seen like your grandmother and your mom speak on stage at real estate events in the past. And Tom would always mention, oh, but, you know, their their grandson, Garrett, he's he's in he's on the on the Astros. And then little do I know you're getting traded to the Phillies and he's connecting us, which is equally awesome. 
What was it like growing up in a real estate family? Because I, I've been there too. My dad's a realtor and I think it's a tough job and you've got a totally different perspective not getting into the business. Yeah, uh, long hours. Uh, <laughs> you know, my mom, when I was born, uh, gave up the Sunday showings and ended up passing that along to somebody else so that she could at least have the weekends with me. And I don't say that on the, you know, my mom was never around. My mom was at every single baseball game, soccer game, whatever. She, you know, she ran her own business and she ran it the way she wanted to, which was always family first and real estate second. But with that being said, she wanted to be as successful as real estate agent as possible uh, with my grandmother. So she was, you know, up early in the morning, making sure that she was making her phone calls, getting uh, clients to know what is going on in the market, what is going on with their house that they might be selling, you know, buyers letting them know what the market was doing because the way La Jolla market works is there's a lot of people that are out there not even knowing they want to buy a house. And all of a sudden my mom makes a phone call and lets them know that something came on the market and she sells a house a month later. So, uh, you know, growing up in that kind of lifestyle uh, was awesome to watch my mom really have to put in hours and hours of work in order for her to see a successful outcome and kind of, you know, showed me what it takes uh, maybe in a different way. But when you're doing uh, real estate, you really have to quote, take the bull by the horns and do it yourself. And that's kind of the way sports works as well. And so I got to watch that at a young age and, and kind of put it into my own uh, way in athletics. Right. I mean, and I feel like it is a lot of discipline and, you know, going through all of those steps over and over again, um, just to get better and to, to get to those end results, much like, you know, in baseball, all the practices, yes. all of the, you know, everything that you do every day to kind of hone in on those skills and tighten them and then um, be better um, as you keep going. So yeah, they are, yeah. there like are some similarities there. No doubt. Are, this is Stacy. Um, quick question. Did you ever contemplate or um, consider getting into the family business of real estate? And if not, why? <laughs> no, I still, I, yeah. Well, the if not is always a question. Um, but I, I still am. I, I went to school and I graduated with a degree in real estate development, which uh, isn't exactly real estate residential sales, but uh, real estate is for sure when baseball is over, whenever that may be, will be what I go into. Uh, what you deal with as a real estate, real estate agent is much different than what I would like to. You deal with incredible emotions. People are making, you know, uh, huge life decisions uh, in buying a home. You're putting them somewhere where they plan to be for possibly the rest of their life. So you're dealing with a lot of emotions uh, when you're doing that. And not necessarily something that I may want to get into uh, post-baseball. It seems like a lot, uh, but my mom's done an amazing job at it. And if that is the avenue that I would take uh, post-baseball career, uh, I've got a huge mentor uh, that I could use uh, in that business. So yes, real estate is something that I am fully interested in, something that I would get into post-baseball. And it is not one of the if-nots because uh, I think that there's huge opportunity there, especially if you're willing to put in the work. Did you take it? Because I mean, I, I, real estate has an 87% failure rate and Major League Baseball getting to where you've gotten to, it's something kids dream about and it's probably a higher <laughs> failure rate. I don't know the numbers, 
it sounds like you got a lot of lessons from your mom and, and your and your grandmother. Like, how did that keep you going when you didn't feel like it? Because I'm sure there's days when you're in the minor leagues or you're in college. It's the same thing with real estate agents. They don't feel like it sometimes and they push through anyway. And I, I feel like there's a lot of parallels here. There absolutely is. And, you know, I watched my mom go through the 2008 financial crash, uh, you know, and which destroyed the real estate market for not just 2008, but for years after that. And uh, it's hard. It's tough. And the same way that you just, you know, talked about the minor leagues. Uh, I had one of my worst years I've ever had in my entire baseball career, dating back to when I first started playing baseball in 2017. And, you know, I thought it might be it for me, you know, with real estate, you can definitely keep going. It's a, you know, a choice for me. Uh, it's not necessarily my choice. If I don't perform, they basically boot you off the face of the planet in the baseball world and you don't have a chance to get back. So, uh, you know, I made a choice in 2017 that, uh, my 2018 season might be my last one and that I should enjoy it and put in all the work that I knew, I needed to put in and I liked to put in and I enjoyed every second of it. And I realized uh, if I go out there and I uh, one, remember why I did it, which is because I love it. And you talk to my mom and my grandmother, they love real estate, uh, not every part of it. And no matter what you're going to do, you're not going to love every single part of it. And you just got to remember that. But if you realize the reasons you do love it and realize the reasons that you are doing it, which might just be solely financial and that's totally cool. Um, but just remember those reasons. And for me personally, in 2018, I had the best season I've ever had as a, as a baseball player. And I think that those kind of mentality, uh, mental things can be used in real estate or really anything. Just remember the reasons why you got into it, uh, because there are going to be the lows of lows, especially when, you know, you're working for yourself. So, uh, yeah, I think that everyone should remember that. That's a great lesson. Um, and, one of the things you mentioned earlier about your your mom is that it was kind of family first. And and I mean, we, we were joking before we got on here. Like I there was uh, when you broke up the no hitter in Houston this year, I saw your grandma uh, on TV and, and I'm, I'm telling my son about it. And you, your your family has kind of traveled around to see you. I mean, all over. Like, well, what does that do for you when you're in the grind of a 162 day season? I mean, it, it's a long season. It's a, it's a lot of hard work. So. How does that support you and, and keep you going? Uh, because I, I think that's another real driver here for anyone that's successful, no matter what they're doing. I couldn't, I don't even know if I could put into words as a cliche goes, uh, what kind of support I get from my family, uh, my mom, my dad, my grandmas, uh, my grandparents on both sides, my brother. It's just, it's overwhelming really how much support I receive from all of them. And my brother gets the same uh, support, my cousin, and it means a, a ton to be able to look up in the stands. And, you know, now there's, you're honing in on one person among 40,000 where it used to be you're in little league and it's your parents among 15 people, you know? So to, I, I just try to date myself back to moments like that and remember, um, once again, why you do it. And it's the hours that your parents put in to take you to baseball practice, um, make sure that you're fed at the end of the day. I mean, it's really the simplest of things. So uh, that supports and has been as good as it gets. And that moment to break up the no hitter and for them to see that kind of stuff, uh, pretty fun. 
that was probably like a tough game too for the team because you just came off clinching, right? And it's like you're on this high, and then it's and and I, I love that you pushed through and did that. I thought that was that says a lot about your character and just about the kind of you know the, the, the kind of team that we had here, which is I think one of the reasons why the, the city fell in love with you guys so much this past year. So, um, what did you like the most about Philadelphia? I mean, you came here from the east. San Diego is way different than Philadelphia. Like I've been to both. Like, it's like <laughs> you're telling me, yeah, it's like kale smoothies and like greasy cheesesteaks and like giant sandwiches yeah. so like no doubt how was how was the adjustment coming to the northeast especially because this this is a different this is a different world for sure yeah i mean besides the what you're talking about with the greasy cheese sticks and the the kale uh in california <laughs> which i'll tell you what san diego uh, i love san diego i would love to live there one day it's an amazing city um but you know northeast just in general and especially philadelphia has that blue collar gritty mentality and even though I grew up in Del Mar, pretty close to the beach, uh, and kind of had everything I ever needed in life, I I believe in myself that somewhere deep down there is that gritty F you in me, which I think <laughs> I I kind of got from being an undersized guy in athletics my whole life. You know, a bunch of people told me I couldn't achieve a lot of the things that I now have. And um, it's helped me uh, both in my personal life and in my baseball career. But Philadelphia as a city has just been awesome, man. I, I, the weather, I got to say, is pretty friggin' miserable for <laughs> most of the baseball season. Uh, it's cold as cold gets, it feels like, in April and early May. And then all of a sudden, it's beautiful for the end of May and early June. And then it's absolutely miserable humidity and heat for yep. most of the rest of the season. So uh, you know, it's a mental grind a little bit out there with the weather, but, uh, going around the city and the, the restaurant scene has been so awesome. I love going out to eat as much as I possibly can. Obviously our schedule doesn't, uh, you know, fit for that most of the time, but the restaurant scene, uh, I think it's as good as it gets around the country. And I tell people when I come home, you got to come out and just go to the different restaurants that Philadelphia has. Cause it's as good as it gets. So do you think um, down the line here, would you see yourself uh, staying around here or going back to San Diego? <laughs> I think that that's going to depend on how long my career is, is uh, here in Philadelphia. It's, it's a, it's a wild business uh, baseball. And, you know, I really do take it one year at a time until somebody tells me I have a contract for more than one year. So it's been a whirlwind of a, a, you know, career so far. And I am so, so blessed to be able to uh, say that I got traded to the Philadelphia Phillies and have had the experience that I've had. So whether or not that continues to a lifelong stay here in Philadelphia, I don't know yet, but uh, you know, the people have been so welcoming. And if I, if we win a world series here in Philadelphia, I got to imagine it's going to be pretty hard to leave uh, Philadelphia after that. Cause I don't think anybody on that team will have to pay for another meal for their, as long as they, uh, as long as they're there. I mean, just looking at the way the streets get crowded. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. Like nobody else does that. I, I think, and when Houston no. won this past year, it was like, Hey, nothing's going on. And meanwhile, they're greasing the poles. People are ripping the banner. I mean, it's just, it's, oh, it's inc- they nuts. had a side-by-side picture of, uh, when the Eagles won and then when Philadelphia or the Phillies won, and it was an exact replica of just absolute mayhem throughout the streets and people just so excited and rallying around uh, whatever Philadelphia team 
I'm sure they would do it for the Sixers and the Flyers, um, you know, if they have that same kind of success. We really appreciate you coming on, Garrett. This has been awesome. Um, you can follow Garrett on Instagram. He's a great follow. Um, thanks a lot, man. I mean, I cannot, I mean, like coming out and meeting my son, like meeting him at the game, that sort of stuff. I mean, that's what people here really value. And the connection has been unbelievable. And Wish you a lot of luck in the upcoming season. Let's uh, let's go get that trophy. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Great. Right.